this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. I hope everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods and you're having all kinds of fun doing whatever it is that you're currently doing during this midsection of the summer because that's definitely what time frame we're located in. Anyways, I had had the pleasure of speaking with Melanie Marshall as of recent and I am so looking forward to being able to share this interview with you. So are you familiar with Melanie Marshall? If you're not, let me give you some information. Who is she? You might be asking. She believes that everything she does is based on trust and that our energies are best spent on things that are meaningful. She had multiple roles as a military veteran, personal trainer, public servant, service delivery executive coach, and leadership advisor. The common skill across of these is the ability to build healthier organizations, teams, and people. As someone who frequently gets parachuted in complex cultural challenges, she understands the care, effort, and persistence needed for positive and sustainable change. Enjoy my conversation today with Melanie Marshall here on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. So let me kind of just ask you, how did you get started down this journey where we're able to find some things on when we did some of the background search on you, but we weren't, there was a gap there. And I think, I don't know if there was an intentional gap, but hey, I guess we'll kind of get into that. But how did you get down into this journey where you got interested in interacting with organizations and the word trust? Ah, so trust came uh, out of years and years of frustration and anger. So <laughs> I, I kind of fell into the organisational culture and change space. Uh, I've had half a dozen different different careers throughout my life, but I had reached a point where I was going into organisations and the theme was consistent. People were saying that. They weren't being trusted to do their jobs. They were feeling quite miserable. They wanted to do more. And if anything, the performance was suffering. So you would walk into an organisation and you can feel the culture within moments really quickly. And there was, after a range of organisations where I was feeling that kind of vibe, and part of my job is going in and, and helping sort those out, helping people lift that, lift that spirit and deliver better things. Um, but this one particular organisation was really, really flat. And after a after a cycle of organisations that were all in the same spot, I was getting really cranky and I was sitting next to a mate at lunch. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what it is, but it's either I'm doing something wrong or other people are doing something wrong. But I'm so cranky. I'm I'm really just done. I need to I need to do something different because the job that I'm doing just isn't enough. And I'm sick of being pigeonholed as this cultural change person or org change person or something. It's a joke. And he said, Well I said, What's my thing? You know, I should write a book because I've got to get all of this anger, this energy out. And he said, Well, he said, you're all about leadership. And I rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, gosh, no, no. The world does not need another leadership expert, please. And I did a little vomit in my mouth. I'm like, no, that's not me. <laughs> and I said, the thing that really, really grinds me, makes me really, really cranky is that people don't trust each other. If there was more trust in an organisation, everybody would perform better. 
and boom, that's what it was. I said, that's the thing. I'm going to write about, I'm going to write about trust. I said, because I do know that when I can trust other people and when they can trust me, things are just magical. It's like you have these magical unicorn moments where everything is just humming along. Everyone performs at their best and it's great. It's fantastic. It's such low effort when when everybody's in that space and high performance just naturally follows. And it's not soft and fluffy. So if people are going to go down this path of, you know, telling people that, oh, you know, it's all about communication engagement. I said, well, that's that's garbage too. It's I was going to say, I, I'm going to hang up on you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm, I'm so sick of people focusing on, you know, what they think are the soft skills. It's like, well, oh. there's nothing soft uh-huh. about trust. It, um, uh-huh. You've either got it or you don't. And when you don't, it's dangerous. So how much buildup did you have before you got to this point? Because this sounds like years of aggravation <laughs> before you got here. So how long are we talking? Oh, I've been playing in this space now for, I would say, about 20 years. So now that you acknowledge it, so 20 years, I mean, that's a long period of time. So all of a sudden, boom, this comes to you. You're frustrated. You say, okay, this is my thing. When you start going down the path, how do you go, how is this going to make sense into a book? Like, because there's a lot there. I, because I know. I, I'll tell you, I have all kinds of ideas. If I ever had to sit down and properly write a book, I'm done because it's probably not going to happen. So how does it come up that you're, you're able to structure it? Well, that, that was, um, I have the same problem. I've got so many different ideas. I couldn't narrow in down to one. So when I came up with, with trust, I'm like, whoa, I've picked like a really little word with a hell of a lot of meaning in there. There's, there's a lot of things that you can, you can go down mm-hmm. So I read everything that I could find first about trust. So um, lots of different books. Uh, I also signed up to uh, the Oxford Review where they do um, summaries of of academic research. I'm not an academic. I can't talk like that. I can't be like that. But they do find ways to come up with some real gold. So I'm like, well, what I do has got to be sort of evidence-based because it can't just be my idea or me writing in anger here. So... I need some some grit behind it. So I I joined up the Oxford Review, read a lot of their re- research summaries, read every book that I could find, listened to podcasts, tried to find other people who had given a practical guide around how to actually build trust. And I couldn't find any that I connected with. And I definitely couldn't find any that my clients would connect with either because they were either written from a bit of a touchy-feely kind of generic lens or they were written from, you know, larger consulting companies and firms who, you know, they connect when you're in that sort of consulting space. But if you're talking just you and I or a small team or even a larger organisation, I I couldn't find a way that it was practical. So knowing that there was a gap, the way that I then structured the book was really about defining what's the problem that we have what, what, what is it that is happening? What is the impact around not having trust? And who do we need to be as people in order to be able to lead with trust? Because trust needs to be assumed as opposed to earned. And that's a real, it's a really weird fundamental thing for people to flip like that because mm-hmm. We've all been burnt, right? We've all trusted somebody, been disappointed. We've all 
we've all burnt somebody else's bridges before by saying that we'd do something and then we didn't. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of fear and fear around giving your trust to somebody or assuming that, that you can trust someone. So I had to understand, well, what was what are all of those sorts of things that are holding people back um, from trusting one another? And then once you understand the context, and trust is very contextual because I could trust you, you know, here and now, us talking, this is great. Uh, in another environment, would I trust you to look after, you know, my child who might be a little bit of a handful sometimes? Oh, maybe, maybe not. Don't so. let them in listen to this later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so understanding the context that you're in, all of the different things that you're playing with other people, um, where they're at within their mindsets around who they trust, why they don't trust is key. Then finding out, you know, who you need to be and coming up with those core competencies, I call them. Not it's not a formula. You can't you can't formulize trust. Uh, it's definitely not a linear thing where you go, well if I do XYZ I'm gonna get trust. Like, no, that that doesn't work either. So well, well, let me inter- and I apologize for interrupting you, but you have no, a lot good. here. You have a lot. So I, I want to make sure that we're <laughs> able to that we're able to get into it. You said something that I really like because you say that you went and you talked to the academics, you get you, you received some data and mm-hmm. that's what you started to put into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like modeling and I always like data sets because I think that they're important for when you're actually trying to move forward with a project. But you said something in regards of assumed trust opposed to earning trust, which is, I'm going to say, different than when you're in inside of this environment, when you're doing the, the, the worldly things, we'll, we'll put it mm-hmm. that way. So when you say the assumed trust, does it almost, do you look at it from the standpoint that it comes with a ranking or a position inside of an organization? Does that come with a, with a title? Is that how you would envision that? Or I just wanted to see if I can get a little bit more context. Yeah, on that for sure. yeah. Um, trust is not about titles in any way, shape or form. And it's interesting because in an organisational context, if an organisation is calling out that, that they're going to be trusted, it means that they're not. <laughs> and it means that they don't quite get it yet. Right. Yet, I say yet, because it's a learned, it's a learned thing. Uh, so if, if you're in a position, whether you be a CEO, whether you're being a middle manager or you are, you know, at the coalface, you're all in a position where you can lead with trust because nothing that we do is in isolation. You know, no organisation operates as a solo individual. And even if you are um, an independent sole operator like myself, there's a lot of people that I need to be able to trust and lean into in order to do my job the best way that I can. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely not positional. What what I came up with were what I call the heart and soul competencies of trust. And these are the things of, of who we need to be. So quite often we focus on trust about being honest, empathetic and reliable and they're they're three very key things that came up in the research around what you needed to be but what I found was is that there were moments where I was those things but it still wasn't enough and I was still making mistakes and scratching my head it was like what was I what was I doing right or wrong in that moment and interestingly those competencies came from a conversation and a discussion that I had with a uh, a grocery, like a supermarket 
checkout operator. And uh, his, his name is Andrew. And I called him Adam in the book because to protect his identity. But, but he's cool with Where me. Where do you shout? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, he's cool with me. He's cool with me releasing his name. So it's all good. But um, Andrew was amazing. He he always served with such joy and such delight, and genuinely cared for all of the customers that came through his checkout. And I watched him for months just being in total service, total service to people. And this one particular day, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to find out how he's doing because he's really inspiring and I don't even think that he knows it. So it was my turn to get served and I said, hi there, and I could see that his name was Andrew. So I said, hi, Andrew. You are always so amazing with people. You really serve with so much joy and you're inspiring and I don't think you realise that. But how are you doing? And he stopped and he thought and he looked and he was a bit shocked and he said, well, actually, I think I've lost my life purpose. Whoa, okay. This got deep at the the cash register right away. (laughs) Yeah. That's not – that's definitely not the conversation I was expecting, but I thought, wow, he has trusted me with this information and he doesn't even know me. And that's a really big statement to make. And as he said it, he appeared shocked. He's like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I, said that. I said, that's okay. I said, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've just come out with that. And that's horrible. That's really horrible. Nobody deserves to feel like that. Was there ever a time where you actually did feel that you had a purpose? And he said, well, yeah, I, I, um, I did, actually. I really liked, liked to paint. I said, oh, okay. I said, is there, is there something stopping you from being able to paint? He's like, well, well no, I think I, I've just kind of, I just kind of haven't, I've just kind of let other things get in the way. Okay. Is it possible that you could potentially pick up a paintbrush again, or if you've got something that you know might be inspiring to be able to to paint? He's like, oh, I've got a whole box of photos, and I can pull those out, and and you could just see the light returning to his face again. Now, there's a long jump between having lost your purpose and all of a sudden picking up a paintbrush. So it's not that simple, and I get that, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, um, I'm certainly not saying that it is. So, of course, you know, I'm going to have to ask, are there other people standing in line as this conversation is going on? Because you know how people always get inside of, inside of the lane. They're like, what's going on here? Yeah, come on, girl. Hurry up. I want to get my groceries done. Yeah. Now, we were lucky because there wasn't a great deal. There wasn't anyone behind me at the time. But as we were sort of wrapping up the conversation, he was finishing my groceries. There wasn't a pause. It was all happening as as he was, you know, scanning my, my groceries. And I'd say the whole conversation interaction all happened within probably about three minutes. But it was amazing. There was as we were wrapping up the conversation, somebody else came in, so we didn't hold anybody up, which was good. But but at the end of it, he had made a commitment, and he said, "Well, he said I'm I'm um, I'm I'm going to have a I'm going to have a look at my photos and see what I can come up with." I said, "Well, I really like that," and would it be okay if I asked you about that next time I saw you? And he's like, 
yeah, actually, yeah, that, that'd be good. That'd be good. So every time I went and got my groceries, I would sort of swing past and Andrew would serve me. And we, we ended up having this love-hate relationship because he would hold me accountable to things as well. Yeah. And he's like, well, if, you, if you're going to hold me accountable to something, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you're training and you're exercising and you're doing all of this other stuff. I'm like, okay, all right. And, and we used to laugh and giggle because there were days that I would sort of – go, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to see Andrew because I haven't done my stuff. And, 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 and he would be the same. We'd go, oh, I don't want to see Melanie because she'll hold me accountable and I, I, haven't, I haven't picked up my pencil yet or started drawing. But the, the fascinating thing about all of that is that prior to that, that one day, that conversation, I'd ask my husband, you know, Anthony, what is it that I do? Because people always tell me stuff. Like, it's just a thing. He's like, well, it's just a thing. It's well, just hold on. Did he, take a, did he pause or did he give you an answer right away? I would be very timid about being asked this no. by my wife. I'm just, I just want to figure out, did, did he do the right thing here? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, um, he always does the right thing generally. <laughs> it always generally. Um, okay, but we need to slave this clip later on. I, I'll remember this. <laughs> well, what, what, um, well, it just doesn't surprise him because it doesn't matter where I go. People just, I don't know how it, well, I do know how it happens now, but at the time I didn't. I said, what is it that people just tell me their life stories and stuff that they've never told anybody else? I said, there's something that I do that I don't know what it is. And if I can bottle that up and write it in a book and show other people how they can also do this, I think that'd be really powerful because it'd be practical and it'd help a lot of people. And he said, oh, babe, you just, that's just who you are. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's beautiful, but really unhelpful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'd, so I'd had that conversation beforehand, and I'm kind of jumping around in the story here. But, but back to Andrew. After I'd had the conversation with Andrew about him losing his purpose and then identifying something that could help him get back on track, I got in there the car and I just burst into tears just totally broke down into tears because just being able to connect with somebody in that way that you've never known and to be really, really have that level of insight face to face in an unexpected way and to be able to handle it and not get freaked out about it and to be inspired yourself, there that's like, that's magic. You, you can't buy that. You can't manufacture it. You can't it's not positional. It, right. it, it was, it's totally human. Uh, but, it's but you almost have to be open to this. It's, to there, there, there has to be an openness because you could have been more along the lines during the time. Oh no, I need to make sure that my list is here. I got other things going on. Is, if, if, how I'm going to pay for this? Is, is it already set up and so on? But you were open to, not that you had the expectation that this was going to be the conversation, but you had an openness and you decided to take a risk. Even by even how you started off the conversation. That's right. Well, trust. It, it, risk is a risk is a really good word because trust is incredibly risky. There are so many um, uncertainties in it. You're putting yourself out there, and you're being vulnerable for somebody else. Uh, he was being vulnerable for him. I was being vulnerable my, for myself because, like, what if what if I had opened up some massive can for him and I didn't know how to like, put the lid back on. How do we close it back up? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, I can't do this. Close it back up. But, um, but when I went, I got into the car and when I reflected, yeah, I, I, I 
burst into tears and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And the words heart and soul popped into my head and it's an acronym for all of the things that in that moment both both Andrew and I gave one another. So we gave each other honesty, empathy, reliability. We gave each other um, an openness, like you said, and an understanding of who we were within that moment and who we wanted to be. We had a lasting focus to the conversation. It wasn't just like, hurry up, I, I want to get X done in order to achieve this. There was a, there was a, you're going to be part of, an interaction, you know, whether or not it's somebody that I'm always going to see every day. I'm not going to say we, we, you want to skip down the hands and and do that with everybody, but but certainly the conversation was one of you know eyes on the horizon. What what would be the greater good here from this conversation? And then having that sincerity and also being accountable for one another created. A different sort of partnership and, and took what could have been a very random interaction of, you know, how's your day? Good. How's the weather? Good. You know, like, <laughs> but we have those automatic responses, I think, when we go to work. It's um, right. So, in, in that's where I would like to go next. I mean, of course, mm. this started an, a very interesting interaction with you two. It also started a journey to an extent because now mm. when you're seeing him, you're holding him accountable mm. um, in regards to painting. You're, and then he's holding you accountable in regards to the gym stuff, which I think is interesting because I recently watched a video of you talking about being uh, not wanting to go to the gym, but you did go to the gym just to make sure that you got the work done, even though you didn't love it at the time that you were doing it. I think it's a great um, video. Oh, yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot of things that I hate doing, but I know that, that any, oh, there's a trend, I think, where the things that I hate doing tend to be the better things for me. Mm-hmm. Most beneficial is normally the way that it actually yeah, works. Yeah, it's, it's about chasing the feeling, right? But, so let's go a little bit deeper here. So mm-hmm. let's talk about someone that you know. So mm-hmm. as you're doing these interactions potentially at work, this is this might be people that see you every day. So it's not going to be the well, we won't call it a, the aha moment, but a kind of that that interesting interaction. They mm. see you every day. They've yep. seen how you are. How do you build this level of trust or this level of communication yeah. inside of a scenario where someone might know you from the day that you walked in to where you are currently? Yeah, it's being and I know this sounds really trite, but it's that whole ability to be human. Uh, I I got some feedback years ago, and I'm not a fan of being human, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. What are you trying to tell me here? <laughs> well, nobody likes to show their flaws, right? We, we like, like to think that we, yeah, everything's all cool and perfect and fine, but the reality is it's just not. And, and we show – when we show that we're fabulously flawed, we we show weakness and it's scary. You don't want those weaknesses to be, I guess, exploited. And we all come with baggage, right? We will come with experiences from other organisations, experiences with other people that we've had. And it's about being able to own your own beliefs about trust and if I want people to trust me, what are the blockers that I'm putting up for me not trusting them? 
So it's that making sure that the, I guess, the the checklist that you have in your head of what other people need to do to what you feel earn your trust. How easy is it for you to earn their trust? So it's it's really understanding that and the, the key is definitely about being honest with who you are and where you're at and when people can see that you're relatable and you're human and you're not perfect, that in itself gives people permission for them to also be the same with you. And I had I had a real turning point conversation with a guy called Dave and I was working in in a, in a, a large hospital and he was one of the wardsmen. And it was the toughest gig I'd ever had. It was, I had just over 300 staff. Uh, I'd come into a culture that was known as being quite toxic. They were the problem kids. <laughs> That's how they were Hold described. on, you're saying this is the, the roughest one. You were in the Air Force at one point. I'm not taking this out of the equation. <laughs> oh, no, no. I would say the hospital environment was rougher than any military environment I've ever been. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, that, that was my experience. Um, might not be other people's experience from the military, but my experience was the, the roughest, hardest organisations I've worked in have been hospitals. And so I, I was leading ward services and they, they do the, the patient transfers, they do all of the ad- administration as well as the infection control uh, for patient flow. And anyway, Dave, if you can imagine, he is, I'm not very tall. I'm about 159 centimetres. <laughs> Dave is, you know, like about 180. He's just a big, burly bloke, big beard. He kind of looks like he, he belongs in a biker gang. <laughs> and he's very, when you look at him, he's very scary and intimidating. But he pulled me aside one day and he said, you know what? He said, I wish you'd just stop being this corporate chick. I'm like, whoa, okay, what's that about? And he said, well, he said, we know that you're under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and we know that you really care about us and that you're trying to do the right thing and we want to be able to help you but you won't let us in. I'm like, whoa, Right, I've just gotten a lesson from the scariest burly bloke I know. So how do you take this at this time? Because this is very. I mean, how do you take it? I mean, they're telling he's telling you this like, let me in. How do you take the information? Yeah, well, I um, well, first, first there was a a bit of a a long silent pause because (laughs) you're waiting for the punchline like it was a joke. I would I would imagine at first, right? It was the shock of it. It was just, wow, you know, I thought that I thought that I was being this really good, solid leader. I thought I was doing the right things for people. And we were, we were making a difference. I knew I was making a difference. We were getting some really good, really good traction. We were getting more funding to, to better support the staff. We were getting equipment replaced that had been broken. We were addressing some very significant risks in how um, how they were working and things that they were doing that, that were, you know, putting them, their own health and safety at risk. We were, we were pulling all of those things together, but the stress and the pressure of, 
of that was taking its toll on me and I was really burning out fast. So at this time, I was really quite vulnerable to that. And when Dave said that, yeah, I I was just shocked because I never saw myself as somebody who was this corporate robotic chick, you know, like I, I just didn't. Like I, it was so far removed from who I who I was as a person deep down inside and certainly it was very far removed from the vision or my intentions as somebody who wanted to be you know respected by them and I guess seen as a leader and I mean leadership is not positional either it's it's the, the people around you who decide whether or not you're a leader and and I wanted to be a leader for them and and in that moment, I realised that I was, in some ways, I had been failing them and I'd been failing myself. And it was hard. And once I got over that initial sort of shock and that initial reflection of, oh, crap, I'm not who I who I thought I was, uh, or at least that's not who I'm being, which is more to the point. It's about being, being somebody who you need, who is inspiring I realised that I'd been given an incredible gift and Dave had initially, like, just totally freed me in that moment. I I really was able to take a step back and go, well, I'm not responsible for the organisation's culture. I'm not responsible for lifting 300 people out of what would be described as nothing, nothing less than a cultural depression, which is where they were at on the employee satisfaction and culture scale, we're all in this together and I'm robbing them opportunities to be able to create something amazing here. And that means I don't have to do any of this stuff alone. How cool is that? So in that moment, he gave me a gift and and from that time, I then started doing things differently. I let people in. I walked the floor differently We shared more of ourselves and what was happening outside of the work life as well as what was in the work life. And when I did that, everyone became more open. You know, we walked side by side. People told me things that they knew they might get in trouble for. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but, but let's talk about that for a second because how does the transformation occur? Because I would imagine you have to have the initial shock. It's the initial shock moment, even though it's a gift. It's an initial shock. Oh, yeah, it hurts. I mean, it has to hurt. Because somebody's being somebody has to be authentic with you, and they're mm-hmm. willing to be open and honest enough to say, "Hey, this is what's going on." So you have that initial shock. Yes, I know the pause, mm. but it's not. We're not shooting on all cylinders momentarily afterwards. No, no. How long no. are you reflecting before you say, "I know internally, I need to change"? Yeah, well, because because of my background, I can flip very quickly. Okay. On, on that. So if you think, I mean, bef- at that, by the time that moment had come, I probably had about mm, between 10 to 15 years worth of executive coaching, life coaching, um, or psych type experience under my belt. So once you kind of know that stuff, you don't unknow it. And mm-hmm. I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so for me, it doesn't take very long to get an insight and go, whoa, okay, right, let's, let's turn that around at rapid pace. The, 
the thing that you've said is really key though. Transformation doesn't happen overnight. It is a real face punch <laughs> when you, when you first when you first realize I've got to I've got to not just change. I've got to totally evolve into something else entirely. And it's not just at a personal level, but organizationally we had to do that as well because there were lots of things within our system that was broken that was leading to people being angry, frustrated, behaving badly, accidents happening. We had to look at everything from a whole system perspective. So whether for any kind of a transformation, whether it be you yourself, like me, I want to go on a a personal transformation, whether it's a team, whether it's a large organisation, you've got to look at all of the components within that, within yourself, within your team, within within your organisational culture to go, well, what are all of the drivers? What are all of the, the practices that we use? How do we think? How do we be? How does that all work together? So it's always about systems, your internal systems, your external systems and your environment. I liken it to um, a professional football team, for example. They have amazing systems around them that enable them to achieve high performance. They've got a coach, they've got training plans, they've got equipment that works, they've got structured plays, they've got a range of people around them to make sure that they've got therapists, physios, to ensure that people are at their peak. The players themselves have to look, take care of themselves. They've got to get adequate sleep, put the right fu- um, fuel in the tank with their food and their nutrition. They've got to do the work on their own game consistently, even when they don't want to. Day after day (laughs) to make sure that when they show up as part of a team, that they are the best version of themselves that they can possibly be in that moment. And if you think about an organisation being many teams, if everybody had an approach to to being a high-performance player, the whole team would be a hell of a lot more successful and that that bottom line would be a lot better. So, uh, so yeah, it is definitely about understanding your context and the problems, who you need to be to be able to lead with trust and bring your best self to the table, looking at all of the structures around you and the supports that you have or you don't have that you need to create, and that's where the co-design of these things is really important. And then putting that into a way, into action, so that people truly are connected, clear around what they need to do, and then committed, even in the days where you don't want to do it. Because motivation is waning, that, that, you know, that ebbs and flows. But being really connected to why you need to transform and working on the how together and being able to lift one another when, you know, everyone's motivation is not always going to be high. Some will be high, some will be low, someone will be in between. When you can all be reminding each other of, of why this is important, why what you do matters and contributes to the whole, that's when everyone owns the success, just as much as everybody owns when you trip and fall too and they're there to pick you up. So. So how do you get to that point inside of an organization? Because I think that that's really going to be a a key element here because I would love to say, okay, let's read a book and that's it. 
I wish it was that simple, but you know that that's not not the case. <laughs> that's but right. How do, you, how do you get to that point? Because you're establishing to an extent personal relationships. Mm. It's opening up to your coworker. It's opening mm. up to your team members in regards of actually having those deeper conversations. Besides that, hey, maybe the the work that we do is not the greatest on the planet, but we have something that we kind of coexist in. So let's talk about some things that we we might have some common interest. I mean, let's just be realistic. Not all not all work is glamorous. Um, so it's just not great, but we have some common practices or we also might have some common interests. So how does those things actually occur? How do you start developing those relationships? Yeah, well, when you really get in and you understand what's broken, when people aren't, when people know that when they're, when they're in that pain point and they're working through those painful things day in and day out, chances are they also know how to fix them, but they're not given the opportunity to. So it's understanding and doing like a bit of an assessment around, well, what isn't working for us right now? What is holding us back? Because there's a very big gap, what I call that transformation gap between the aspired vision and the actual reality. So it's one thing to have the strategy and the plan. That's good. That's your first tick. This is, this is where we mm-hmm. want to go. But really getting down into that current reality. And if you've got the opportunity or you can, a, a cultural assessment. So doing, it's worth investing in an org culture assessment. It's worth investing in doing deep dives around, okay, if we've found that this process isn't quite working or there's a, there are more injuries that are occurring, for example, in this particular team or there are customers or patients or clients who are, aren't happy with the level of service that they're getting, that's something that we need to do a bit of a deep dive on and we need to look at what is the employee journey in that space, what is the patient or the customer journey in that space, and then you start pulling down into all of the processes, the systems and the people that are involved. Once you understand that, then you can have the conversations with everybody that's involved in that in that process to say, what's what's good? You know, what is it that, that we need to keep hold of? Because it's not all bad. What could be, what, what needs to stop? You know, just bang, get rid of it now. And what could be better? And when you work on those things together in partnership with the people involved, then you can create those things. So the co-creation of it is key. And as far as, you know, reading books, reading research, doing all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's about getting an external person without an agenda. And trust is about not having an agenda, by the way. That's that's pretty key. (laughs) (laughs) Getting somebody external who isn't part of your world to look at it and go, why do you do that? Or how do you do that? Or what, what would happen if you stopped here? And asking questions that you would have not thought about before. And it, it really surprises me when organizations say that you know they want peak performance they want quality they want this and there's a lot of pressure on CEOs and managers and executive to achieve this but quite often they're not given the support from a coach themselves in order to help them and support them through that or offer a sounding board that is outside because it, it doesn't matter how awesome you are everybody needs a mirror from time to time <laughs> <laughs> so one of the keys, and I hate having to just sell the whole coach thing, 
but the reality is it works. So having somebody outside who can help you look in and work through the challenges as an independent is really, really useful. The other thing is it's got to always come from the people who are going to do the work. It can't be, boom, here's my solution, go forth and deliver. It's got to be mm-hmm. a case of, look, here's, a, here's an approach that within your culture, within your context could be really useful. How as a team can you do that, implement these things in a sustainable way because you're going to have to live with this, right? For any change that occurs here, there's got to be an intent to be able to continue that on and not just continue it, but to improve it. So making sure that everybody's got some skin in the game, hence a lasting focus to trust is key. You're not going to get the transformation if everybody's kind of just like stepping back, looking and waiting for, you know, the bright, shiny consultants to come in and make the magic wand because that ain't going to work, right? <laughs> what? It doesn't work? No, but, yeah. but here's, my, here's my question to you because it becomes kind of a, a, a weird spot, especially for some coaches. Some coaches shy away because they know that, hey, this, this company's paying for my services. Mm. So how deep do I want to get? How do you shy away from that? Because it doesn't sound like that's the approach that you're taking. No, I don't. And it doesn't sound like you're sucking into that reality distortion field that people have where it's like, oh, no, what you're we are the perfect group. And they kind of give you this false reality (laughs) on the things that are going on. And like everybody around this one person will start believing it. And it's like, what is going on? I almost (laughs) think it's like a cult light sequence, but probably not a good thing to say, but it seems like that's how it is. So how do you, how do you, how do you reference both of those things there? Well, well, the first thing is knowing whether or not somebody is, is saying that they want transformation or whether they truly are committed to making it happen. So I don't work with people who tell me that everything's all okay because you know what? You're not ready and that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. That's totally okay. You know, if, if if you are working really hard at putting up a facade and saying that everything is all good when when if we were to scratch the surface, it would be obvious that you weren't, you're not in the right space to actually do the work to get a transformation. So you, you've really, that would be almost the, the type of person or, or organisation I'd say you're uncoachable in that moment. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. It would be a waste of their time and money and it would be Um, damaging to me as a coach coming in saying, oh, yeah, you know, I can help you with that because, yeah, it's very, very easy when you first talk, when you start talking to people how truly committed they are or they're not um, to something. So I would put those on the shelf and say, look, you're not ready right now and that's okay. Uh, If you change your mind, come back to me and we can have a conversation. For those that are ready, they're the ones who are already just pulling it all out. It's like, what's and all? This is all of our pain. We are stuck. We don't know how to do it. Um, we, 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 need, we need help. You know, it's the ones that say we, we really just need your help. And I don't have a big team of consultants that come in behind me. That's not my, that's not my MO. I, I come in with the notion of, well, if we can't build your internal capability, 
and build your own skill sets and your own confidence and trust within yourselves to be able to do this, none of this is going to work anyway. You know, any, any kind of fly in, fly out, it's just a Band-Aid fix. So um, if you want that, go to another area. <laughs> I'm not the person for you. Yeah, I'm not the person for you. Uh, but if you are willing to do the work, well, then, yeah, we've, we've got an opportunity. And there is no other way to approach transformation. It is, it, it, the reality is it, it is hard. It's hard work. It's faith in the unseen. It's doing stuff that you're doing in the hope that it'll work because you've never been there before. It's, it's a vision thing that you've got, but you haven't achieved it yet. So there are going to be times where you're going to be testing and adjusting. You've got to be experimental. You've got to identify, well, what are the safe fails? And let's just have a go. Um, let's create an environment where we make it fun by just having a crack because let's face it, it can't get any worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so quite often it's about making sure that it can't get any worse. And, and, uh, and I um, We're I at the lowest bo- portion of the bottom of the barrel. We're not getting any further down. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I, I think um, <laughs> the short answer to your question is we've got to make sure that you're at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> when you're at the bottom of the barrel, it means you, you, you're going to do anything that you need to do to be able to climb back out, right? Or, or you exit, and that's the other thing, and that's okay too. Not, not every, it's, not, um, it's not for everyone. So when you're going through these efforts – you are going to lose some people because it's just not what they want. It's the, it doesn't match who they are. It, it doesn't match um, what they're suited for anymore and there are ways to be able to respectfully and gracefully help them move into something that is better suited for, for who they are and for, for what they bring to the table. But for those that are still there and ready to do the work and they're really committed to it, it can be quite fun because when you do – when you do accept the reality, when you do acknowledge that, yeah, you're in a culture right now, you're in an organisation that that is just has bucket loads of distrust, right? It's the stuff that's just fallen off everywhere. You're all miserable and that really sucks and it can't get any worse. So what have you got to lose? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and for the most part, when, when you have that converse, conversation, it's like a little bit of weight just falls off people's shoulders because they immediately go, "Oh yes, you get it. Like you, you, you've you've been in this pain before." And I go, "Well, yeah, lots of times." <laughs> but I do know that there's hope, right? As, as long as you acknowledge that this is here and now, and you've got nothing to lose, and you're willing, you're willing to sort of be a little bit experimental and test and adjust because you can't break it anymore, I reckon you'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's far beyond driven. This is definitely the way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. And even even like one incremental shift, it will have like a ripple effect and a flow onto other areas. And it's quite phenomenal that when you're in an organisation and you begin these sorts of journeys and these, I guess, recovery missions (laughs) – what you find is is that people also get their own personal benefit out of it as well. So you might come in to fix elements of the organisation, but in really leveraging the talent that organisations already have and they've forgotten about, 
you actually you actually lift individuals. You know, they the the impact that it has on their personal lives is phenomenal. You know, the the impact that they have and the relief that they get in being part of something bigger. I mean, everybody wants to have purpose and meaning in what they do at work. And when we give people the opportunity to really bring them their best self to the table, yeah, it's amazing what can happen. And I, I really feel that, and that's part of you know why I wrote the book, is that I think that we, we hire brilliant, amazing people. That's why we hire them, right? We hire them to fix problems, to help us grow, help us deliver better services. And then somewhere along the way, we forget that they're brilliant. And we try and make them fit into like a little box uh, with too many rules, too many structures. And yeah, sure, there are all things that we have to do uh, in order to, to to comply to certain things. But there's a hell of a lot of things that we could do very flexibly that we forget. And that's where um, that's where there's an opportunity for people to be creative. And I think that sometimes as leaders, they, we tend to forget that for sure. Now, Melanie, if people want to know more about what you have going on and about your book, where can they go to find out more information? MelanieMarshall.com.au Thank you very much. I really do appreciate you coming on to the show today. I've had a fantastic time and it's been such a joy. Thank you, Jay, for the opportunity. And thanks to everyone for listening. Well, this is going to bring another episode of The Jay Allen Show to an end. To find out more information about the book, Trust, the Foundation for Healthy Organizations and Teams, go to melaniemarshall.com.au. To find out more about what we have going on here at Safety FM, you can always go to safetyfm.com, download the apps that are available as an Alexa skill, the Google Play Store, or from the Apple Store itself. You can download all these apps. Take a listen to our streaming service 24 hours a day. If you want to get a little bit more involved on our video on demand service, you can always download Safety FM Plus, which is available on all formats. You can just type in Safety FM Plus on your web browser or into your favorite store and you'll be able to find it there. Anyways, thank you for taking a listen to what we have going on here today. This will bring another episode of the Jay Allen Show to an end. Goodbye for now and we'll see you soon. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.